bosom of my heart, Jesus, the anchor of my soul, and I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I love you, oh, Jesus, the anthem of my heart, Jesus, the anchor of my soul, I'm overwhelmed by all you are. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love. Oh, how I love you. Apparently, I got singing too hard there and broke a string. So uh, just give me just a second, because if I, I got to retune this. You guys doing okay this morning? Yeah. I'm really excited. This is the awkward part where you got to go talk while you're tuning. I can't do two things at once. When you break a string, it really knocks the guitar out. fun. Fantastic morning, right? It's all good, you know. That's right. There we go. That's really fun. It's been years since I've broken a string. It tells you how long it's been since I've changed my guitar strings. There it goes. I love church. I love. <laughs> Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Sing Jesus the name. 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Yeah. 
Father, this morning we worship you, God. We are thankful for the chance to sing, even with five strings on a guitar. And uh, God, we are just encouraged. And uh, as we worship you this morning, God, you are an amazing God that that loves us despite what we do. God, you love us and we love you. This morning we declare that. We proudly sing your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, welcome. It is so good to see everybody here today, everybody in person. This is really exciting. (laughs) And some of you I'm seeing for the first time in a long time. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. And everybody that's joining us on Facebook and YouTube, welcome. We're glad you're joining us as well. 
So attending church weekly is so important for our walk with Jesus. And we're really worshiping God together, and we're coming together as the body of Christ. And so we're really glad that you're joining us today. And we'd really like to encourage you to take that next step in growing in your walk with Jesus by getting connected in a group. And right now, I know we have some new spring small groups starting up soon and some that are already going on. And so we'd really like to encourage everybody to get connected in a group. So if you go to our SVC app, click on groups, you can see um, what's available right now. I know we have a couple of co-ed groups going, a men's group starting, a women's group starting, and we have our youth group that's meeting weekly. So there are several options. So we would just like to encourage everybody to take that next step, get connected during the week. So Mother's Day is coming up. So when I think of... My mom, I think of several things. Um, My memories of my mom, I remember that she was always there for me when I got home from school. We would walk to school. I remember every night before we went to bed, she would come in and have a talk time. I have three brothers with me and all three of my brothers. And she'd read a chapter from the Bible, and she'd get down on her knees next to my bed and pray with me every night. And, of course, she cooked and cleaned, and she did so many things to serve our family and to really nurture my heart and my brother's hearts um, in the ways of the Lord. So moms are special, and we're excited about Mother's Day coming up. And so we want to do special for do something special for moms. So this Mother's Day, which is going to be on Sunday, May 9th, we will be recognizing mothers for who they are and all that they do for us. So we will be honoring grandmothers, aunts, spiritual moms, mothers, both young and old, and providing encouragement and help for the whole family. It's going to be an exciting day, and we truly have something special for everyone. And we're also going to have a special child dedication. So what does it mean to dedicate your child? Basically, you're saying, I want to raise my child or children in the ways of the Lord. And we're going to have a special child dedication on Mother's Day. So if you're interested in dedicating your child on Mother's Day, please email Kimberly. Her email is Kimberly at SolanoValley.org. And speaking of Mother's Day, that day, uh, Gary is going to be starting a brand new sermon series, and it's called Building Stronger Homes. And this is a perfect Sunday to invite friends and family, not only for Mother's Day, but because of this special series that he will be starting. So it will speak to everybody in the family. So whether you're married, single, a parent, a young adult, whatever your age or circumstance, this series will really be um, wonderful for everybody. So we're really excited about that. Also, um, our revival prayer will be on Sunday, May 2nd at 6.30 right here at Solana Valley. And this re- monthly revival prayer has been so special. And when you, when you hear the word revival, Think about, like, revive. If somebody was unconscious 
and then they're revived. It's like they're brought back to life. And why are we praying for revival? We're praying that God will awaken. He will bring alive our hearts for the things of God right here in Fairfield, in our families, but in our community and in our nation. And so we are praying for revival, that God would revive and awaken our hearts for the things of God. We're praying for our community. We're praying for our marriages, for families, for children, for teenagers. We're praying for our leaders and our churches and praying for our church. And it's a wonderful, it's like an hour of prayer where we come together, and it's so wonderful. So we would really like to encourage you to come. Again, that's going to be Sunday, May 2nd, 6.30, right here at SDC. So right now, we have the opportunity of worshiping God with our giving of our tithes and our offerings. And there are four ways that you can give today. You can give online at solanovalley.org slash giving. You can tap Give on the SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text Give to 707-883-3019. And if you're here in person, you can drop your offering into the silver slot at the back of the church. It's behind the sound booth. So I want to thank all of you for your generosity and giving um, to the church and to building God's kingdom. And so right now, I'm going to hand it over to Gary, and he is going to continue our sermon series on For God So Loved. So welcome, Gary. All right, I'm coming up to an uh, innovation. It's not a standing one, but it's an ovation. That feels good. It was always oh, for joy. Thank you, Noreen. This is the story of my life, and everybody knows it to be true. Wow. Wow. Noreen, you just make me feel so small. <laughs> I love you, too. Actually, uh, you know, Joy just mentioned we're doing a series right now called For God So Loved. And what we're doing is we are doing a series of messages, short series, on the first four chapters of John. And uh, we're not trying to do this exhaustive study of every single verse. Uh, but what we are doing is we're just trying to look at some highlights. And uh, this, the remainder of this year, I'm going to want to come back um, we're going to do the series about family, but we'll be coming back to John because I think there's so much good stuff for us here. I really do. I think uh, incredibly important, important stuff. Um, you know, in my life, uh, I've been a, attached to a few weddings. Many of you have as well. But as a pastor, I get to see weddings a little bit differently. And so for me, uh, I have um, uh, I, I've had the opportunity to. Uh, to be a part of a number of weddings. That's just, you know, it's part of what you do when you're a pastor. And there are some weddings, some weddings that I could tell you stories about. And if I did, I'd be in trouble with my wife afterwards. Uh, that are absolutely hilarious moments uh, that nobody wants to remember. But for me, they make me laugh. All right. And then there are other moments that are just uh, they're fun. They're they're uh, they, it's just a fun moment for me. So like one wedding uh, that was uh, that was significant, important to me, was the very first wedding I ever did. And it was for a couple. Uh, their names were Harvey and Jan uh, Gong. 
And I had, because I'd never done a, a, a wedding before, you, you understand this. I have been preaching now for, I don't know, for almost 30 years, and I still manuscript every message. And what they tell you to do is the first five years, manuscript every message. And, and, but I found that it's, it's a really good habit for me. Uh, it keeps me from going all over the place. And some of you are like, Gary, you still go all over the place. Uh, when you preach, but it helps me to not do it as badly as I would have otherwise. But I remember at this very first wedding that I was going to do, I had scripted it word for word, every single part of it. And all the way down to the end of the wedding where I am supposed to say, uh, it is my privilege and joy to be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Harvey Gong. But what I said is what I wrote, and I said this, it is my privilege and joy uh, to be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Harvey Wong. So I introduced them by the Wong name, you know. I still call people by the Wong name. But, but that was kind of memorable for me, and it was funny, and it was funny about me in the moment. It was hilarious, because everybody's just kind of like, everybody's just like, it's just like dead silent. <laughs> and Harvey and Jeb, Jeb both turned and they looked at me with this look on their face. And I'm like, you idiot. Um, but, but that was kind of fun. Another fun wedding that I did uh, years ago, we had a couple who used to attend our church. Uh, they moved away, but their names were Jim and Lisa. And a great, neat, neat couple. And they had met each other uh, scuba diving in Monterey Bay. And so... Uh, so when they got married, they wanted to do their wedding there in Monterey, and they wanted to do it at the aquarium. So they, her, her uh, dad, uh, Lisa's dad, rented out the entire place. He, he was a neat guy, super neat guy. He put us up at the Gosby Inn, uh, Joy, myself. Uh, this was before Faith was born. Caleb and Cass were still really, really little. And uh, so we... Uh, we, we did this barbecue, or not a barbecue, but this big shrimp boil out on the, uh, uh, on the beach down at Carmel. And then, uh, and they rented out the entire aquarium. I, how many of y'all have been to the Monterey Bay Aquarium? Any of y'all been there? So a few of you have been there, and you know it's pretty awesome. It's pretty nice. And so, you know, there's that back area, huge, uh, kind of like a, a deck that looks out over, you know, the bay. And it's absolutely beautiful. So, you know, with my back to the bay and, and everybody looking, you know, past me, nobody wants to look at me anyway. You know, they want to look at Lisa or they want to look at the bay. All right. So, uh, but doing, uh, the, 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 the wedding and then up on this balcony, there was a string quartet playing something that y'all would all know the name of it, something about Pachelbel, whatever. And I, I know nothing about because I grew up in Arkansas, right? So, you know, it wasn't hillbilly music, so I didn't recognize it. So, uh, but it was nice. It was nice for Pachelbel, okay? But uh, they were playing this really great music, and then uh, afterwards we did, uh, they did the, uh, the, the banquet right there in the, uh, in the aquarium, and it was next to the really large aquarium that you walk in and you see. And so the lights were kind of dimmed, but there was light shining through the aquarium, and it gave me this feeling of almost like you were underwater enjoying this banquet. But it was fantastic. And then all the kids, we got to go to the little 
I say we. I said all the kids, and I said we. All right, so I'm a kid too, all right? So we got to go to the little petting area where you get to pet the bat rays and all that kind of good stuff. But it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But for me, obviously, the most memorable wedding I've ever been a part of was my wedding. Uh, it was the happiest day of my life. It literally was the happiest day of my life. I mean, the birth of my kids, you know, each of those was fantastic. But for me, it was like, you know, I, I can't, it's hard to describe in words what that day meant for me. And, and um, it was just a very special time. Uh, Joy and I, the whole time that we had dated, uh, I had been in San Diego. She had been living, going to school in uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma at OBU, at Oklahoma Baptist. And, uh, and then part of the time I'd moved back to Dallas where I was going to school full time uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary. So we'd been apart from each other our entire dating life. And so to finally come together to be married, to never have to say goodnight to her again, uh, just the coming together, the, the, uh, the friends, the family we had, we had people all the way from California to South Carolina who came. Uh, we had, uh, it was in my father-in-law's church there in Oklahoma City. And, and it was just, um, it was just, it was so much fun. It was just being with people, being with the people, your, your loved ones and stuff. But for me, for me, for us, it was a big day. It was a big day. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at and we're going to read a text of scripture that's uh, about uh, about a wedding, about a wedding uh, that's perhaps one of the most remembered weddings ever. Uh, and uh, but just because it's in the scriptures. But I want to read together. I want us to read this in John chapter two, verses one through 11. And so you can just follow in your Bibles or you can follow up on the screen. I'll be reading from the NIV Bible. And um, in, uh, it's about a really special wedding. But it says this on the third day. By the way, underline those words on the third day, because on the third day, interesting, profound things happen, don't they? Okay, just remember in the Gospel of John, when it says on the third day, interesting, profound things happen. This is a foreshadowing in the story of something that's coming, an hour. An hour is coming on the third day. It is an important time. Uh, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jerry, or excuse me, Jesus' mother was there. Jerry's mother was there too. Just kidding. <laughs> Jesus and Gary together makes Jerry, okay? <laughs> oh, gee, I just ruined everything. Let's go home, all right? Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, and by the way, Remember this, that in first century uh, A.D., uh, it, woman was a term of respect. It was a term of honor. It'd be kind of like if you're from the South, I grew up in the South. It, it's kind of the way that, that I was trained as a young man to treat, to speak to a woman, is I would call her ma'am. And so uh, when, when Jesus responds to his wife this way, this is a term of respect. Kind of like lady or my lady or in Hungarian, asanyom, or like, the French would say, Madame, okay? So it's considered a phrase uh, of, of honor. And he says, Wyman, he says, uh, woman, why do you involve me? 
And Jesus, uh, and he says, my hour has not yet come. And that is an important phrase. It is very important. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, but these are not ordinary little jars. This is not something you plant a house plant in, okay? Uh, that, that nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So these are like bathtub-sized jars. They're huge, okay? Each of them holding 20 to 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then Jesus told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Real quick, I'm going to read this verse again because this verse is so important. We're going to come back to this. I'm going to, what it says here, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. And every time I'm reading through my, the Gospel of John. Every time I come to signs, I always draw a box around the word sign. Every time. Because signs and sign is something very significant, very important in the Gospel of John. If you don't understand this coming into this, you can, you, you can blow right past it and miss something really important. See, in John chapter 20... In John chapter 20, in verses 30 and 31, John, John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, the author of the Gospel of John, writes these words. And we talked about this on Easter Sunday. But what John writes in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, and what he says is something like this. He says this, many other signs Jesus did. In the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the Gospel of John. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So when I'm reading through the Gospel of John, every time I come across the word sign, I'll I'll draw a box around it, and then in the margin... I'll write the letter S, and I'll put a little box around that. That way, it attracts my attention. Every time I come to the word believe, I'll put a circle around believe in my Bible. But then in the margin, I'll put a B and a little circle around it. And in, I I don't know how many times the word sign is used in John, but it's used a bunch of times. Uh, In the word believe, when I, I, I counted it years ago, and it's been so long I've kind of forgotten, but it was somewhere between 90 and 100 times it's used. Now, when someone uses a word that many times, they're trying to make a very important point. 
But what the scripture says here, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana uh, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. I want to share with you a few thoughts, if I can, from this text. And I'm going to come back to verse 11 here. First thing I want you to see, and some people may think I'm making a big deal out of this, but I think it's an important deal to make. That Jesus does his first sign in Cana at Galilee. Now, uh, before I began my, my message this morning, it was real interesting is that, that Jason came up to me and he, he asked what I was thinking about. You know, I think he saw that I was thinking. And what I'd done is I wrote on the top of my message, I wrote this little phrase. I said, uh, no small places, no, excuse me, no small places. Um, actually, I rewrote it right here. No small places, no small moments, no small works. And my point is this. With God, there are no small places. No small moments, no small works. What we see here in the scriptures, that Jesus does his first sign in Cana of Galilee. Now, why is that important? And I believe it is hugely important, is remember, this is which sign of Jesus? The first, all right. I've got one person here who's with me. Fantastic, all right. Can you say first, please? Okay, first, fantastic. I want you to remember this. This is the first miracle Jesus ever does. All right? That's, just not, that's not just my thinking. That was John's thinking. And if you read any commentaries on it, most commentaries are going to tell you the same thing. This is the first sign that Jesus does. Uh, you know, first things are kind of important, aren't they? Like the first time you meet someone who becomes really important in your life, uh, you know, that, that first are uh, important. The first kiss that Joy and I uh, ever shared was very special. That, that there are, that, that things that happen the first time are often very, very special. So special that John wrote about it. That this is his first sign. But what's so interesting is, is that, you, you know, think about this for a moment, okay? If you were trying to help someone in our world today, if there is a politician trying to get elected, does he go to Goodwin, Arkansas for a photo opportunity? Anybody ever been to Goodwin, Arkansas? Nobody? Nobody. Wow, that's amazing. Anybody know where it's at? That's in Arkansas, right? All right. Literally, literally, literally. Just for a moment, if you are from Goodwin, those of you out there on Facebook and in, on YouTube, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything disrespectful. I just got to say that, you know, put my little disclaimer out there. Okay, you've heard the saying that, you know, about a town that it's so small if you drive through it and you blink, you'll miss it. Okay, that is Goodwin. Seriously, that's Goodwin. I mean, Goodwin is located between Wheatley and Palestine. And you're like, okay, that. that you know, those places are insignificant to you. That, 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 that Cana was about, about nine miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Nazareth was a village of about, about 500 people. Palestine, Arkansas, where my dad grew up, um, it was about 600 people. Wheatley, uh, where some uh, other aunts, uncles, cousins lived, about 400 people. 
good one? I don't know. It depends upon how many dogs uh, the Smiths have, you know. Their population goes up and down with whether or not their dog had another litter of pups, okay? So, so it's like it is literally this tiny, insignificant, unimportant place unless you live there. Unless you live there. That, that for Jesus, Jesus does his very first sign in Cana of Galilee. With Jesus, there are no small places. There are no insignificant places. What does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for you and me? Do you ever find yourself thinking, I would rather be somewhere else? you ever find yourself thinking that the place you're in isn't that special? Anybody ever had that experience? That, that you want to go someplace, you want to go someplace more special than where you are. You're looking for another place to be, and you want to go somewhere that's special. And sometimes you begin to disrespect the ordinary that's around you every day. That, that sometimes we look and we, 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 we have almost a sense of, um, oh, let, me, let, me, let me share it this way. Let me see if I can make it a little more clear. I've got a buddy of mine, his name is Paul. Lives in a place, again, it's a place in Arkansas that many of you have ever heard of. But it is a place of absolute fantastic beauty. It is. I mean, it is a place that is, that is like amazingly beautiful. And I remember one time, uh, Paul saw that he was one of my roommates when I was in college. They had saw, he had seen I had done a bike ride and I was in Napa. And he made this comment, oh, you're so lucky. Like, you know, being able to ride my bike and go to Napa. And I think for us, we kind of take it for granted because we can go there anytime we want to. And, and other people, you know, they'll travel all across the country to go to Napa, you know. And, but for us, it's kind of like, well, we go there every Friday. That's where we have lunch. And so for us, it doesn't feel like a really big thing. But for Paul, who lives in Greer's Ferry, Arkansas, it feels like a big thing. And I thought, you know, it's so interesting. Is Greer's Ferry, is, it's on this lake. It is absolutely beautiful. It's breathtakingly beautiful. And I'm like, you know, in, in Greer's Ferry, depending upon which season of the year you're there, if you're there when all of the foliage is changing, absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Or other times of the year when it's just like super, super green, um, it's just a beautiful place. And, and the point is, is that sometimes we can disrespect the place we're in when God wants to do something very special right where we're at, right where we're at. Second thing I want you to see in this text is this, is that first is that Jesus does his first sign in Canaan of Galilee. Secondly, Jesus does his first sign at a wedding. And, and that, that the Bible, in the Bible, weddings are very special. They're very important. Just as a way of reminder, as a way of reminder, did, did you know the Bible begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding? The Bible both begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding. And in the middle of it, there are a lot of other weddings as well. That the first re, uh, wedding we read about is uh, we read about in Genesis chapter 2, we read a more detailed record of God's creation of the man and the woman. And what the scripture tells us, and remember in Genesis 1, what you're looking at is you're kind of looking at, um, like, like if you're watching a movie, you have the, the big, I don't know, panoramic view. But then when, you know, and then sometimes you'll have a big panoramic view and then they'll 
come in and they'll focus on a single person or something like that. You've seen that in a movie. That's kind of what the Genesis 1, Genesis 2 account of creation does. One is the panoramic view. The other one is the more focused view on the creation of man and the woman. And what God does is God takes from the dust of the earth. And the Bible tells us that out of the dust of the earth, that God forms and fashions a man. And then God breathes into the man the breath of life. And he places him in a garden, in a place of great beauty. And after creating man in his image and putting him in this beautiful place, God says this. He says, it's not good. It's not good. Throughout Genesis chapter 1, we see God saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But you get to Genesis chapter 2, and he creates the man, places him in the garden, and God says, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so what God does is he makes the man fall into a deep sleep. He takes a bone, a rib from his side, and he fashions... In that rib into a woman and brings her to the man. And what the man does is he basically, uh, he says, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she comes from me. Now, in Hebrew, what that means is this. It means, wow. That's what that means, okay? You know, in Hebrew, all of that, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I know it sounds weird to you and me, but that's like Hebrew for hubba hubba, all right? It's like, she is like, you know, like amazingly beautiful. That's what basically what Adam is saying here. That the Bible begins with a wedding, and the Bible ends with a wedding. That the Bible, in, in Revelation chapter 19, and I was reading this again this re- week, and I wasn't reading it for this message, but I was just kind of reading it and thinking about this text. But in, in Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says this. It says, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb. By the way, Revelation written by John. John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, the author of John. Uh, And there's also John the Baptist that John the Evangelist writes a lot about. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus, what he describes Jesus as being, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now John the Evangelist, writing the book of Revelation, says, Hallelujah for our Lord, our God, or the Lord, our God, our Lord, our God, Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. That the Bible begins with a wedding. The Bible ends with a wedding. Weddings are special to God. Jesus does his first miracle at a wedding. Almost as if to say, this is something holy. This is something holy, and just in case you think I'm reading too much into this, when you read through the book of Ephesians, and it's talking to us about how special 
Marriage is. This is what the Bible says. For this reason, by the way, this is taken directly from Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, the reason that the coming together of the man and the woman in what we call holy matrimony is a gift from God. God made us male and female. He made us in his image and he gave us this wonderful gift of our sexuality. By the way, God's not ashamed. It's not like God made the man and the woman and they came together and God was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that coming. All right. (laughs) I wish I had thought more before I did that. It's not like that. God says that's very good. It's very good. And God made this special. And what God did, and, and, you know, probably one of the, the better weddings I've ever attended was the one that was officiated by my brother-in-law uh, for his daughter, Tori. And I remember what Tim did as he was, uh, this is terrible. When you're a pastor, you always listen to other people's messages and you're always evaluating preachers. This is terrible. Or you go to a wedding and you're kind of like, ah, you know, never do that. <laughs> or you'll think, that's a great idea. I'm going to use that my next wedding. But I love the way Tim talked about uh, how marriage is supposed to reflect Christ's love for his bride, the church. And Jesus does his first, his, first, uh, his first sign at a wedding. Third thing, Jesus does his first sign turning water into wine. Now, all of my Baptist friends, they get really upset about this, all right? Jesus does his first sign, turning water into wine. You know, this is really amazing. Think about this for a moment. The first miracle of Jesus wasn't healing a blind man. You know? I mean, most of us look and say, well, we should feel compassion for the blind man. Of course he would heal a blind man. Or, you know, his first miracle isn't healing a lame man. And a lot of us would say, well, of course he should heal a lame man. We feel compassion for him. Or we, we, uh, we see uh, Jesus uh, raise a man. Lazarus from the dead. Well, of course, Jesus should do that. But his very first miracle, think about this for a moment. When they went to Costco, they forgot to get enough wine. They forgot to get enough wine when they were at Costco. Now, that's inexcusable. That is poor planning. By the way, it was considered an absolute disgrace if you were the groom's family and y'all ran out of wine at a wedding. Uh, By the way, that's the reason Jesus does something about it. It's not so much about wine or anything like that. It's just an act of compassion and concern in a moment that wouldn't be terribly important to most of the rest of the world. But for that couple in that moment, it's all important. And what Jesus does is he turns the water into wine. Now, for all my Baptist friends who get really upset about by the way, I come from Baptistic background, so I get to make fun of my, my friends here. Okay? Uh, for all of my Baptistic friends who get really upset about this, and they'll come up with some really bizarre ideas about how it wasn't not, it was non-alcoholic wine. I'm like, yeah, that's grape juice. 
That's grape juice. The, the Greek word here is oinos, and it's very interesting. Is is the whole point when the, the head waiter says, you know, hey, you've saved the good wine until now. Uh, where, where's that at? He, he says, um, uh, you know, nobody does it this way. He says, you know, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. And the, the word there, too much to drink, is methusto, and it literally means to drink to the point of intoxication. Now, that's not the point. That's not the point of the text. The Bible isn't saying you're supposed to drink to the point of intoxication. In fact, if you did that at a Jewish uh, wedding, it would be considered an absolute disgrace. It would be considered unpardonable. Okay? It was just a bad thing. So this isn't saying we're supposed to do that. But anybody who says this isn't the kind of wine that has that effect on you is missing the very point of it's, it's pretty clear, okay? It's pretty clear. So all my Baptist brothers, they either need to take a chill pill or they need to enjoy a, fine, a glass of fine wine, okay? One or the other, one or the other, all right? But in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, wine is often used as a sign of celebration, blessing, and joy. What Jesus does in this text is save this couple and their families from public humiliation. By bringing a little joy back to the party. And folks, we as Christians should bring a little joy back to the party. By the way, I kind of feel like that's the way it should be every Sunday morning. That it it should be a time of joy. That there was a place for celebration in the scriptures and there should be a place for celebration in our lives. There was a place for celebration in the scriptures and Jesus hallows this by turning water into wine. Fourth thing in this text is this. Jesus does his first sign revealing his glory. He, he reveals his glory. Remember how I read a moment ago and I said uh, where uh, in verse 4 uh, Jesus says to his mom my hour has not yet come. Do you remember when we read that? My hour has not yet come. By the way, that phrase my hour has not yet come, is repeated, I think, five different times until you get to chapter 12 when Jesus speaks of the hour of his suffering. And speaking of the hour of his suffering, his hour has come. And verse 12, uh, in chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus says this, the hour has come, speaking of his imminent crucifixion. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's how he speaks of his, his crucifixion. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified. Then in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus prays this, Father, the hour has come. Speaking of the moment of his crucifixion, the hour has come Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. The life of Jesus was not random. There was nothing random about the life of Jesus. There were no chance encounters. Jesus was supposed to be every place he was. Every place he was was special because his presence made it special. 
There was nothing random about where Jesus went or what Jesus did. And everything was leading to this one hour that was to come when he would be glorified. Jesus' life had a mission. And his mission was to go to the cross and carry my sin and your sin. Uh, To die for you, for me. There's a fifth thing I want you to see in this text, and that's this. That Jesus does his first sign, and his disciples believed in him. Verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory to his disciples, and his disciples believed in him. You get that? He does the sign, and his disciples believe. Now, real quick. I say real quick. That means we're going to be here another 20 minutes, all right? I, I, I have something really important to say. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that. Uh, it's important, not because I'm saying it, because Scripture says it, all right? When I was a young man, I digress. When I was a young man, I had a time in my life where believing in God became extremely difficult for me. I wasn't really sure if I believed in God. I wasn't really sure if I believed that this book was the Word of God above other books. I wasn't sure if Jesus truly was the one and only Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. I had a lot of things that I began to call into question. And so I began to study, and I began to read books, and I began to look for answers to my questions. And I read more and more and more. And what I found is I found some pretty incredible answers to the questions I struggled with. Then I made a shift. I found the answers to my questions of why I believed in God and why I believed in Jesus and why I believed this book. But then what I did was I kind of shifted gears into another gear. uh, And I kind of went into overdrive trying to convince every other person who was struggling with whether or not they believed in God why they should believe, all right? This was my my thing. I really got into the whole apologetics movement, and this is what I discovered in all of my evangelism and all my work with people. Signs don't convince unbelievers to believe. Did you know that? They don't. Signs don't convince unbelievers to believe. Signs are not given to unbelievers. Signs are only given to believers. Did you know that? When you read through the Gospel of John, one of the things you're going to see is that the signs are only given to believers. The unbelievers get to watch and see. But guess what happens when unbelievers see a sign? Nothing. Apologetics are good for believers. But people who don't want to believe will find a reason not to believe. I'm just going to tell you that right up. And it took me a long time, because I'm stupid. It took me a long time, but I finally figured out you cannot argue anybody into the kingdom of God. This is fascinating. Jesus says his first sign, his disciples believed in him. You get later, you get later into uh, John chapter 12. In verses 37 through 41. And this is what the Bible says. Even 
after Jesus had performed so many signs. You know how many signs so many is? It's a lot. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. Because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. God blinds the heart of the unbelieving. Sounds like a hard word, but it's the word of Isaiah, not the word of Gary. So if you have a problem with it, please, you know, take it up with Jesus, all right? You know, people don't believe because of the signs they see. And people don't disbelieve because of the signs they don't. Let me tell you something. All of creation... All of creation. You know, this is what people want. They want a sign now here. They want God to be like a magician. Do a trick for me. Do a trick for me, God, and I'll believe in you. Do do me a trick, please, all right? Folks, I, I remember, I remember, I remember. I was in Eastern Europe, and I was talking with a young woman from Germany, and she was, according to her, a scientist who did not believe in God. And I remember we were having this conversation. I remember she said to me, she said, you know, Gary, I, I, you know, if, if I saw a sign from God, then I would believe. That's what she told me. And then she said this, actually, I'm kind of glad I've never seen a sign from God because if I did, then I'd have to believe and I don't want to change the way I live. And see, that you're right. You're absolutely right, Gina. There it is. See, the problem isn't here. The problem is here. It's not in the head, it's in the heart. That the reason people don't believe is because they don't want to believe. All of creation points to the fact of a creator. All of life points to the fact of a life giver. The disciples see the sign and they believe. The question today is, what about you? The what, what about you? See, the entire Gospel of John was written for this one reason. is so that you would believe in Jesus. By the way, it's real interesting as you read this. If you read through all of chapter, I was going to preach all of chapter 2. I decided not to. You can say thank you to Joy, all right, after we're done, all right? It's real fascinating. Real fascinating. Because at the end of chapter 2, it talks about, you know, Jesus, he turns over the tables in the temple where they were buying and selling animals for sacrifice and all that kind of good stuff. And it was all in the court of Gentiles, and he drives all the people out and all the money changers out and all that kind of good stuff. Jesus does this. And then they are, the Jewish leaders are really upset. And they say, what sign will you show us to show that you have authority to do this? And this is what Jesus tells them. Destroy this temple. 
destroy this temple, and I will raise it up on the third day. The religious leaders said this, and it's in the Greek. I've read it. You're crazy. Just kidding. That's not what they say. But, but basically they say, you're crazy. It took 46 years to build this, and you're going to raise it in three days? But what they didn't understand is he was speaking of the temple of his body. And what it says to the disciples, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, they remembered that Jesus had said this and they believed in him. You see, the disciples believe in Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry. They believe in him. They believe in him at the wedding. And they believe in him after the grave. Folks, you know, what... what I'm asking you to do is to examine, do you believe and how do you believe? Is your belief an enduring faith? I think that's important. I really do. Is, is my faith in Jesus an enduring faith? Where do you stand today in relationship with God? The scripture tells us that there, a time of judgment is coming. And only those who have believed in Jesus will be saved. That's the the teaching of the Bible. That's not what I say. It's simply what the Bible says. Do you believe in Jesus with a lasting, enduring faith? None of us makes it to heaven because we're good people. None of us makes, makes it to heaven because we go to church or because we read the Bible a lot. There will be a lot of really nice, kind people who will never make it into the presence of God. That there is only, there is salvation and no other name. There no other name given to men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And it is believing in him. And by the way, this believing is not an intellectual exchange between us and him. It is a surrender of person to person. Kind of like you tell your child, I believe in you. Do you believe in Jesus? If you've not yet believed in Jesus, I'd like to encourage you to do that today. Uh, If you would like to talk more about that, uh, folks, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're watching from uh, Facebook, you can, uh, well, you can track me down through Facebook. Uh, But you can also, you can call me, 707-290-2485. You can watch it over and over again. Um, 290-2485-707 area code I would be happy to talk with you more you can call me, you can text me, you can email me but would love to talk to you more about this uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and uh, I'm going to close this out in prayer here. Uh, God we want to honor you we want to praise you because you are a God who is with us that you are in, you're with us in the biggest events of our lives and you're with us in the small events of our lives With you, there are no small places. There are no small uh, things. There are no small works. Uh, And and Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for going to the cross for us uh, and for being raised again so that we can have salvation through faith in you. And uh, Lord, for anybody today watching this, uh, anybody who's here present uh, who doesn't yet know you, I pray, God, that they will put their faith in you, and be saved. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand up together this morning as we...
as we sing and as we uh, close out our morning gathering. Water you turn into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you There's none like you Into the darkness we shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you God you are higher than any other Our God is healer, awesome in power Our God, our God, our God is greater Our God is greater, our God is stronger God you are higher than any other Our God is healer, awesome in power Water you turn. Water you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Sing into the darkness. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you, our God is greater, Lord. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, our God is greater. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher. Awesome in Our God, 
stop us. And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? What can stand against? Lord. Amen. You guys have a great week. We will see you guys next Sunday.